We are going to uh, be in Matthew 13 once again. Uh, we're going to finish out the last couple of parables, the kingdom parables, as we've been going through. We've kind of been jumping around from one to another, uh, looking at the, 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 um, the value of the kingdom and the importance of the kingdom. And then uh, uh, last week we took a look at the, the soils uh, that make up the kingdom, uh, those four different soils. And uh, we're going to finish out the last two parables uh, this morning. Uh, the, the parable of the, of the tares and also the parable of the dragnet, uh, which, will, uh, which again will cover every single one that uh, is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 13. Um, but before we uh, kind of jump into those uh, parables, um, let me ask you a question. Uh, does anyone here like trail mix? Do, do you guys like trail mix? Is that, that, that's a thing in Kentucky, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we enjoy trail mix, but, uh, you know, if, for myself, uh, you know, whenever it comes to trail mix, it's usually uh, a lot of good, but there's some bad in there. And what I mean by that is, you know, I enjoy the M&Ms, you know, the, the raisins, the, the dried cranberries, the sunflower seeds, the cashews, love cashews, but I'm not a big fan of almonds. And so when I'm going through the trail mix, you know, I'll, I'll pick out the almonds. And I know Angela likes them, so I'll save them for her. Um, you know, you know, or jelly beans. A lot of people don't like the black jelly bean, you know, black licorice. Um, I enjoy it, but a lot of people don't. And so, you know, usually when a family goes through jelly beans, they'll, they'll pick out that, that black uh, jelly bean and set it aside for dad, right? Because he, he'll at least eat that. But uh, uh, to kind of get our, our mindset on this uh, parable uh, this morning of, of the tares, that's going to be starting in Matthew 13, verse 24. And the dragnet, which is uh, at the end of the chapter, um, we're going to see that there is a mixture of good and bad uh, in this world. Um, uh, both, both of these uh, parables are to be studied together. They really should. Um, they're both dealing with the, the judgment day. They're both dealing with the coexistence of good and evil in this life. And both of them are going to teach us as we go through these that while good and evil may stand side by side for a while, eventually there's going to be a permanent separation that's going to be made between them. Right? And so why don't we just go ahead and just jump in uh, to this parable and we'll read it. We'll read the first one again, starting in verse 24 the parable of the wheat and the tares. So uh, Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, so Jesus, again, uh, as many of these parables, he begins them by saying the kingdom of heaven uh, is like a man sowing 
good seed in a field. And while uh, they were resting at night, an enemy sowed tares in the field. Now, uh, um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of commentators will refer to this as the, the bearded uh, uh, darnel, which was a, a, type of, um, a, plant, or a type of weed that um, was a poisonous ryegrass, which looked very much like wheat in its early stages of development. So when it was planted, you couldn't tell the difference between it and wheat. And this was a common act of revenge uh, during the, this time where enemies would, they would come and they would, you know, sow this into their enemies' uh, field. But it was prohibited by Roman law. It was such a problem that the Romans had a law uh, saying that, you know, it was punishable uh, if you would have done this. And so, but by the time that the wheat started to put on its head, um, you know, it was obvious uh, the distinguish between the two. Then you could, at that point, you could tell the wheat from the tares or, or the weed um, when they were mixed together. And it would, in this parable, it wasn't just a few weeds that we see, but this surprised the servants of the master, right? It surprised them. Uh, again, they said there in verse uh, 27, the slaves of the landowner came and said to them, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then how does it have tares? So th- they are surprised. You know, this wasn't just a few, um, just, you know, just a few within his, his field uh, of wheat, but there was many. And his, the master, right, he knows right away that an enemy has done this. Okay, and so the, 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 his, his workers, they, just, they, you know, they say, let's go in there and let's pluck it up and let's get rid of it. But the, again, the master says, uh, rather than damage the wheat by trying to separate the tares, uh, he instructs them to grow together. Let them be grown together. And he, he planned to let the reapers bundle up at, at the end of the harvest to bundle it up, up the tares and burn it, and then collect the wheat and put him in its barn. Now, uh, last week, you know, when we were looking at the parable of the soils, I had mentioned that you know, it's not common for Jesus to explain uh, his parables uh, to um, you know, his hearers. But in the case of that parable that we looked at last week, he did. Right? And this one he does as well. So you're going to have to skip down to verse 36. Because uh, the, the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven are in between here. And then look at verse 36. Because Jesus is going to, again, explain to his disciples what this parable meant. Um, let's look at verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Before we jump in there, notice this. This is kind of often overlooked, but this is a great point. Um, the disciples came to Jesus and said, you know, we don't understand. Right? We don't understand what this meant. But this is a good thing, right? It's a good thing because they are interested. They're investigating. They're, seek- they're seeking, right? This, is, this should be us today, right? When we're studying scripture, when we're studying the Bible, and it comes to, you know, maybe a verse we don't understand, Instead of glossing over it, like many of them did, and went home, they went to Jesus and said, explain this to us, right? And so this is a good thing, and they're investigating, and we should do that as well uh, in our studies. But then notice what Jesus says, starting in verse 37. He says, and he said to them, 
The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay, so again, uh, another great parable that Jesus gives uh, his listeners, and it also explains it to them. Uh, you know, this, there's no better interpreter uh, than, for the parables than the Lord himself. And so we're thankful that, he, uh, uh, record, or that Matthew recorded this for us. And again, the disciples asked him what it meant, and he said, and he, go, he, go, he gives them a list, right? He says, the one who sowed the seed was the Son of Man. Okay, so this represents Christ. You know, that, that was Christ's favorite um, description of himself, a reference to himself, the Son of Man, uh, that he would refer to himself. And then he says, the world was the field. Okay, so he's going out and he's sowing uh, the seed, and the world is his field. And if we looked at, back at verse 24, we notice that he says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, okay? So uh, the world is his field, and it's his, and so when the enemy comes, and when the devil comes and, you know, th- sows his tares, he's trespassing, right? He's trespassing in, in uh, God's um, field, and then we're told the good seed were the children of the kingdom, now, last week, when we talked about the seed, uh, it represented the word of God in that parable. But now here, the seed represents the, the, the children of the kingdom, really the product of the seed. Right? So it's not simply just the word of God, but now it's the product of the word of God, which created the, these children of the kingdom. And, and then he goes on and says, the tares represent the children of the devil's kingdom. Okay, So the wheat and the tares, the... the, the Christ's kingdom and the devil's kingdom. And then he says, the devil was the enemy who sowed the wicked people in the world. Verse 25 says that he did this while uh, they slept. You know, um, possibly this could mean or it could represent something to the effect of that, you know, there was a lack of watchfulness. But, you know, Probably more likely is, you know, we as individuals, we have to sleep, right? And, and when we go to sleep, um, which, you know, usually is represented by the daytime and the nighttime is usually represented by darkness. And that's when Satan operates. And, and of course, Satan, Satan's a coward, right? He, he works at night. Uh, he works in darkness and he doesn't want his deeds exposed. And so this is when he operates. And so he goes at night and he sows his tares into this field. And we're told that, again, uh, Jesus tells us that the sons of the devil will be gathered together to be burned. And on the other hand, the sons of God will be taken to the glorious place that will enjoy the kingdom with their father. And, you know, that's what we're given uh, in that parable. Drop down to verse 
excuse me, verse uh, 47. Because here we have another parable, uh, very, very similar. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, we've talked about this at the introduction of uh, these parables that Jesus is giving. But, you know, he, he's given these, these, these stories with uh, earthly meaning or, excuse me, heavenly meaning. These earthly stories with heavenly meaning. You know, and he often does it with farming because everyone was acquainted with farming. Well, here in, in verse 47, very similar. But instead of farming, he's going to use fishing. Again, this would be something that a lot of the hearers would have responded to because a lot of them, especially, you know, some of uh, Jesus's inner uh, circle, you know, Peter and James and John, they were fishermen. They would understand this. And so in verse 47, he gives another parable, again, very similar. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled... They drew it up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, very similar to the parable of the wheat and the tares, but just using a different analogy, using um, the life of a fisherman. So, you know, kind of studying up on this, the fishermen uh, in Christ's day would have used a, a seine net. Uh, you know, this was something that could have been uh, up to a half a mile long where there would have been weights, you know, at the bottom, taking it down to the bottom, and it had some sort of flotation device on top. And so uh, this, this net that was put in the sea, um, whatever was coming towards it would have been sucked up into it, right? There would have been no escape for those things, and then the fishermen would pull that net up onto the shore and just simply start sorting through the various fish that it caught. And again, we're told that there were two types of fish. There were those good for eating and fit for the marketplace, and then all others. The others were discarded. The good fish were placed in vessels, taken to the market and sold, and the others were thrown away. And again, Jesus briefly here describes uh, this um, parable for us, these events at the end of the age. You know, and as we can kind of think about this sea, right, the, instead, of, instead of the land that, that, um, that Christ explained earlier as the field, now we're looking at it as a sea. And this sea represents um, the, the world that needs to be evangelized, okay? And, and, and if you think of fish in a sea, you know, what do they have? What do they have the ability to do in the sea, They can do pretty much whatever they want, right? They're independent. Um, they, they swim wherever they want, and, and they can do whatever they want. They, they have free will in the sea, right? But once they are caught in that net and they're brought up into the beach, you know, they lose that, right? And that's representing, uh, as Jesus says, it's representing the day of judgment, you know, that, that last day uh, when he is, the angels are going to come down uh, from heaven with him, and they're going to separate uh, the good fish from the bad fish. And again, the good go into vessels, you know, representing heaven, and the wicked are to be thrown away. They're to be cast into a furnace of fire where there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so again, we've got two parables here uh, speaking about um, the harvesting 
uh, or, or the, you know, the fishing of the sons of the kingdom. Right? There's going to be this there's going to be this great day uh, that this uh, these uh, parables uh, represent. And so what can we learn from them? You know, what can we learn from these? Well, Christians uh, confront sin in the world. That's the first point I want us to notice that, you know, as much as we would love, you know, to this world to be exclusively uh, Christian, to be a Christian community, a Christian nation. The fact is that the saints and the sinners, right, they, they're going to live uh, together. You know, Christianity, I don't know if you've ever heard this reference, but, you know, I've heard it quite a few times um, since, uh, um, you know, becoming a Christian, individuals saying Christianity is not meant to be an island. Right? Have you heard that before? Um, it's not meant, you know, you're not meant to go live somewhere out in the ocean and just be your, yourself and do your own things. Um, but we've seen this throughout history. You know, it's interesting in school we learned in church history about, um, you know, it was around 400 A.D. Uh, individuals who kind of took this to the extreme and, you know, they would abandon civilization and go live out in the wilderness or the, or the desert you know, they, they would build monasteries. You know, today we, we think of them as monks or, or nuns. But they would just, you know, separate themselves from society, right? Uh, because to them, uh, if you separate yourselves from society, uh, then you're not living in, this, in a sinful world, right? And you have a better chance of pleasing God and doing uh, His will. Well, let's look at a few scriptures that, that talk about this. Uh, let's look in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, Jesus is uh, praying. You know, he knows that, you know, he, he's a couple of days away from being crucified. Oops. And he prays, starting in verse 13, about his disciples. Notice what he says. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself and they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So in this, this prayer that Jesus is you know, praying about his disciples, he, he understands uh, that they are not of the world, but uh, they are you know, to be in the world, um, even as I am in the world. I do not, again, verse 15, I do not ask you take them out of the world. Well, why not? Why, why do you think Jesus is making this prayer uh, that Christians should not be taken out of this world, but to stay, uh, stay in it. Teach others. Teach others. Okay, yeah, let's look in Matthew. Uh, if you're back in Matthew uh, chapter 5, you know, uh, you know, Jesus explains this on the Sermon on the Mount. In, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, says, You are the light of the world, right? Christians are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Right? And then look at uh, verse 15. 
nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Okay, so if a Christian is the light of the world, then what is the point of, you know, lighting that light and then not putting it on a lampstand, but putting a basket over top and covering up the light? And that's that's what Jesus is trying to get through to them. Again, verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Right? So, so Jesus uh, understands in this prayer that he is giving that we are not of the world, but we most certainly need to be part of the world because we need to teach others. We need to let our light shine. Uh, we, we need to be uh, that lamp uh, that is not hidden under a basket, but it's out for everyone to see. We're a city set on a hill. I want to look at one more in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Just one more uh, part in Scripture that we can go to as far as um, you know, being in the world, being part of the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 9, you know, Paul, again, is in, when he's in Corinth, he's dealing with a lot of different problems. And one of them was in chapter 5, we learned that there was a man who had his wife's or excuse me, his, his father's wife. And this was, this was a pretty grievous, grievous thing that was going on in the church. And they were actually boasting about this. And Paul is, he's, uh, you know, he's getting on them. Uh, he's telling them that, you know, that they need to um, get this out of the church, uh, get, the, get it before it, it leavens, before it influences the church even further. And, and look at verse 9 in particular. He says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with the idolaters or when you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a viler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. And the point I'm trying to make here in this uh, part of Scripture is that Paul is saying, um, listen, you know, if there's a brother that's doing wrong, if he's living a sinful life, you need to disassociate yourself from them. But when you go out into the world, right, you're going to have to associate um, with non-Christians. Right? You're going to have to go into grocery stores you're going to have to go into your places of business and you're going to have to um, live a life, a Christian life, around non-Christian influences. And Paul understood that. Um, and that's why he's telling them, you know, I didn't tell you to stop associating with immoral people, right? Because then you wouldn't be able to do anything because uh, you're going to have to go out into the marketplaces and such. But I'm telling you not to associate with any brother who's living a life like that. Okay, so... We get the point uh, that, um, you know, that Jesus here is teaching uh, that, you know, in life, right, in, in the parable of the tares, the wheat and the tares, is that there's going to be good and there's going to be um, bad. And Christians must constantly be on guard against the temptations of sin. Okay, so even though we're, we're living in the world, we're not of the world, but sin is around us. And so we have to guard against this. 
And again, Jesus gave his followers a more difficult task than separation. He didn't say be separate from them and stay away from them, but he says that you're going to have to live among them, but you must guard against temptations. You know, we talked about this last week in the sermon, in the morning sermon about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, where Paul wrote, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. And we made mention uh, that, you know, that in any situation, in any situation where there's temptation, we have the ability to step away from it. There's always going to be a way of escape, even if we have to live you know, in, in, in a sinful world. Right? We will always have the ability to step away from that. And so uh, we've noticed that, again, that Christians uh, con- confront sin in this world. And the second lesson is that we learn from Matthew chapter 13 is that the devil has children too. Right? We, we learn uh, this in this particular parable. That there are sons of God and there are sons of Satan, sons of the devil. And there are such things as in this world as tares. You know, Christianity no doubt has had its uh, positive effect on this world. You know, we've seen this. We see this today. But yet no nation, no state, no city is 100% fully Christian. Uh, you know, we, we also can see that. It's a, it's a fact of life. It'll, it'll always be that way. Um, when between uh, graduating uh, preaching school and uh, moving here, uh, you know, we were looking for you know a place to work, and there were uh, a couple of opportunities we had to go and visit some churches in uh, McMinnville, Tennessee. And if you're familiar with this kind of area, you know that's really that's right in the Bible Belt, right? There's just a ton of churches, and this isn't an overly big city. When I was doing research on it, but their population, according uh, to Google, uh, a couple of years ago was thirteen thousand six hundred ninety-five people. Okay, so again, not not a huge area, but as I was researching the area, um, this this website that's pretty trustworthy uh, as far as um, uh, listing you know churches of Christ, and and you can go down and drill down by county, and in this in this particular county, I'd, I counted twenty-nine churches of Christ in McMinnville, Tennessee. Okay, there's 29 churches of Christ. And then they also told you the average, you know, estimate of their attendance. And again, I don't know how old this data was, but if I, when I went through and tallied that up, I got around 3,350. And so if I took that number, that 3,350, and divided it by the total population, and again, not taking into effect the people who live in McMinnville and drive out of McMinnville to go to church, or people who drive outside of McMinnville into McMinnville to go to church, but just taking those two numbers, I came up with, you know, right around 24%, right? 24% of the population of McMinnville are uh, Christians, New New Testament Christians, according to this data. Um, You know, that's surprising, right? Um, That's a pretty high number. You know, you go out to the, the grocery store and one out of four people you meet is a New Testament Christian. And 
And that was kind of, you know, it kind of boggled my mind when I, when I thought about that uh, compared to places where, you know, where we came from in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where, you know, that number would have been, you know, point zero 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 you know, something like that. And so, but when you think about that, even 25%, even close to 25% of New Testament Christians in this town, there's still 75%, you know, three out of every four were, are, are non-Christians. And if you're a non-Christian, you know, the Bible will describes them as the sons of disobedience, the sons of the, of the devil. And so the devil sows seed just as surely as the Lord does. And we also notice here that Jesus believed and taught in the existence of the devil. Paul described him as we talked about this morning's lesson in Ephesians 2.2, 2, the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit of, who now works in the sons of disobedience. And those are those... Um, who elsewhere in scripture, 1 John 3, 8, John says, he who sins is of the devil. Now that word sins, uh, meaning, meaning continually sinning, keeps on sinning. He who keeps on sinning is the son, or he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Right? Sinners are truly uh, of the devil. And uh, in these, these passages, these parables, we should understand that it's not always easy distinguishing between the two, um, between the Lord's children and, and the devil's children. And Paul had that trouble as well. Look, look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Over here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 12. You know, again, Paul, um, even though he's an aspired an inspired apostle, uh, you know, he, he also mentions, he's warning the Corinthians uh, that it is, it's hard to distinguish. Second Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 12. Oops, I get to Second Corinthians. Okay, that's why I didn't look right. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 through 15. The sign of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches? Except that I did, except that I myself did not become a burden to you. Forgive me this wrong. Here for this third time, I am ready to come to you and I will not be a burden to you for I will not seek what is yours. You know what? I'm in the wrong passage again. I'm sorry. Let's try this again. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 through 15. But what I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in this manner about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Okay, so finally got there. Sorry about that. But th that is the point I'm trying to make. Uh, what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 is that there are some of those who are going to be disguised as, as, as you know, children of God. Uh, it, it's, he says, no surprise 
that they disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Um, but even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So again, it's hard for us to distinguish between the two. <clears throat> and, and even on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, 21, he said, you know, even those who say to me, Lord, Lord, will not enter uh, the kingdom of heaven. So, uh, we, so, you know, we need to understand, just like uh, with, with the wheat and the tares, you know, growing together, or with the fish, you know, being dragged out of the sea uh, and then being separated, uh, the good from the bad, um, that we, we, again, we live in a world where we're going to be surrounded uh, by those who do not profess Christianity or even those who do profess Christianity but, you know, do not follow uh, Jesus, do not follow the doctrines of, of Christ. And so... Um, but he tells us, you know, don't go and uproot, right? Those servants, they wanted to go and uproot them and get rid of them as quick as possible, get them out of the field as quick as possible. But Christ said, no, but let them grow together. And then at the end of the age, I will separate the good from the bad and I'll throw the bad into the furnace and the good will, will come uh, with me. Uh, the, the angels being the reapers, of course. And again, um, you know, this, he is warning us not to have these quick reactions. Um, you know, God is going to temporarily tolerate uh, the wicked for the sake of righteous. You remember Abraham um, when, when he was dealing with God over Sodom and he, he, he was saying, you know, you know, if there were 50 righteous people in Sodom, would you spare it? And God said yes. And then he went from 45 to 40 to 30 to 20, and he went all the way down to 10. Right? God was willing to save Sodom if there were 10 righteous individuals found. Why is that? Well, um, you know, we, we know of God's nature, uh, especially in Second Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 9, that... The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Right? God wants all to come to repentance. And if he's going to you know, tear up uh, that, that, those tares right away, they're going to have no chance, right? No chance of becoming wheat. Um, and so... Uh, you know, kind of concluding uh, these, this lesson, you know, there, again, there is a coming, a coming harvest. You know, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and there's going to be the separation that's going to occur. But also, um, you know, positively that we can look forward to is there is a coming reward for the righteous. Right? He says in that parable, the righteous shone forth as the sun uh, in the eternal kingdom. But again, there's no in-betweens, right? either the wheat or the weed, either the good fish or uh, the bad fish. But, um, you know, one point to remember is that as the net did not discriminate as it went through the sea, you know, we too must not discriminate when we are preaching and, and teaching the gospel, right? Cast out your net, you know, and bring in as much as you can. And, you know, God's going to judge the heart, right? We don't have that ability. Um, so... We'll teach and preach as much as we can, and we'll let God do the separating um, on that day.
Okay, so um, I appreciate your attendance this morning. And then Brother Eddie is going to close us out in prayer at this time.